Matthew chapter 21. Pull out your Bibles, pull out your phones, pull out your iPad, whatever it is that you're gonna look at the text on. Skip all the other stuff that might distract you. Get to the text, get your journals out, get ready to take some notes, get ready to write some things down. Shorter passage today. Matthew chapter 21, we're gonna be looking at verses 28 through 32. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. You're turning, you're getting your notes ready. Let me give you some context. So you take the context and you look at what's happened earlier on in Matthew chapter 21, you would see that Jesus cleanses the temple. So he goes into the temple and as he walks into the temple, there are things being sold His house, which is to be a house of prayer, is no longer a house of prayer. And so Jesus shows that there's nothing wrong with having righteous anger at some moments in time. And he turns over some tables and he says, this is not right. And he confronts something that is wrong that is happening in the temple. And at that point, you can only imagine the priest and the Levites and the Pharisees and all of these who are thinking to themselves, who is this guy coming in and telling us what we can do in the temple? Who, who is, what authority does he have coming in and messing everything up? We've got everything situated. Here he messes it up. Well, this is Jesus. So then Jesus leaves the temple. And as he's leaving the temple, even before he leaves, he heals the blind and the lame. And if you remember, the blind and the lame then start praising Jesus. They start giving glory to Jesus. As they're giving glory to Jesus, then the religious leaders are indignant. They are frustrated. They are mad because Jesus is receiving praise and glory. And they want that praise and glory to go to themselves, not to him. And so they're just they're ticked off. They don't like it. Jesus leaves the temple, and then you have this really odd scenario that you'll remember he walks by this tree, this fig tree, he sees it, and he wants to go and eat some of the figs. As he's going to eat some of the figs, there's no figs on this tree, so he curses the tree, and the tree withers and dies. And the disciples marvel, who is this? This person who has authority. He has the authority to cleanse the temple. He has authority over the temple. He walks out, he has authority over the trees, that if he speaks a word, a tree will immediately wither and die. Then Jesus goes back to the temple. The chief priest and the elders, just before our passage, challenge his authority. And they ask him, by whose authority are you doing these things? And you remember Jesus responded, and he said, I'm gonna ask you a question. If you answer it, I'll also answer. By whose authority did John the Baptist baptize? So questions of authority all around. Who has the authority to cleanse the temple? Jesus does. Who has the authority to tell a fig tree you're gonna die? Jesus does. They're questioning then, on whose authority do you do these things? He says, tell me about John the Baptist. That kind of brackets and comes back around at the end of our passage for today. By what authority did he baptize? And they don't answer. Because see, they understand. If they say he baptized by the authority of heaven because God the Father had given him that authority, then the response is, well, then why didn't you believe him? And if if they say, well, he just does it because of the authority of man, nobody from above gave him this authority, then the crowds are gonna come after them. And that's not a popular opinion. And they don't wanna be ridiculed or stoned or hurt by the crowds or or thrown out of office. And so they, they don't answer. So then Jesus says, well, if you don't know, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And here comes our story. Here comes our our parable for today. Let me give you the main idea. Let me give you the outline, write these things down, and then we're gonna stand and we're gonna read our text for today. The main idea is actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder 
than words. The outline, so we're gonna have a story, then we're gonna see a question, and then we're gonna see a statement. The story comes in verses 28 through 30. The question is a one-sentence question with an answer in verse 31, and then the statement comes in verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. If you're able, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered him, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered him, I go, sir. But did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Dear Lord, today as we come to your text, would you help tie my words to what your word says? Lord, would your word speak to us through your spirit? Would you draw us closer to you? Would you change our hearts and our perspective and our minds so that we may serve you better? Lord, today, would you be with those on campus who are hurting? Would you be with those who have lost loved ones? Would you be with those who need encouragement? Lord, may your name be lifted high throughout our campus today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. Not a difficult passage. We look first at the story. He begins with a question. He's gonna ask another pointed question. There's a good principle here. There's a good principle for leadership here and that you lead with a question. You ask questions. It gets people to engage. It gets people to think. So he says to them, what do you think? Here comes the parable. Remember, our parable is Jesus taking a story and tossing it alongside a truth that he's gonna teach to help educate and help us to understand a heavenly principle with an earthly story. He says, what do you think here? A man has two sons. He went to the first son. We would presume that this is the older. And he said to the son, go and work in the vineyard today. This first son answered him. Now think about this. Mom and dad come to you. Dad comes to you and says, son, take out the trash. No, I will not. I don't know about your house, but that would not have played at my house when I was the son. And it definitely wouldn't play at my house now that I'm the dad. How many of us, can I get an amen out there that this would not play well at your house? Dad comes to you and says, go do. Now, this is a story. We don't wanna make too much out of the story, but there's, does that mean they didn't have to go work in the vineyard every day? Does that mean that maybe they were, were rich and spoiled and they didn't even have a clue what work was? We don't know. We don't need to make too much out of this, but we do need to understand that this first son looked at the father and said to the father, no, I'm not going. That's disrespectful. That's not okay. That's not something that we're all right with. But he changed his mind. Changed here. It's gonna show up again. 
Same word in the Greek, gonna show up again, can mean in certain instances, repent, to change the mind, to have a different course of action. You're going one way, you change, and then you're going a different way. So he said to him, no, I'm not gonna go, but then he changed his mind, and all of a sudden, he then did go. There's a point there for us, too, who may have rejected God at one point in time in our life, that we then have repented and changed so that we accept the free offer of salvation from God. He changed his mind, and he went. Verse 30. He went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered him and said, I will go, sir. That's the right answer, right? You know, the dad hears that answer from the son or daughter and the dad smiles. Huh, what a respectful child. I'm pleased with the response of this child. But then what happens? He said, I will go, but then he did not go. Yep, Dad, I'll take out the trash. Yes, sir, I'm on it. Next morning, trash didn't get taken out. Truck comes by, trash is still sitting at the house. Okay, how many of you would that play well in your house? No, you told me you would do it. You didn't do it. What's the deal here? So neither one of these sons are model sons. But you get the story. There's one son who says, no, I won't go, and he does. There's another son that says, yes, I will go, and he doesn't. So then Jesus asked the question. So yeah, we're already on point number two here. What's the question? This question is a good question. It's gonna make sure they heard the story, make sure they understood the story. And the question in verse 31 is, which of the two did the will of his father? So which one? Now, in an ideal world, we wanna have a son or a daughter who would say, yes, I will go, and then they will go. And then they do it. Like we get that's the perfect response. But here in this scenario, which one did the will of the father? The text tells us. We don't have to guess. It says the first. So in answer to the question, the first son did the will of the father. So now look at the statement that Jesus provides in verses 31 through 32. Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to the priests. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious rulers of the day who have questioned his authority As they've questioned his authority, they've had some back and forth about John's baptism. And then here comes the statement to them. Jesus said to them, truly. Now remember, every time you see the truly, every time you see an indication, it's like your faculty member, your professor saying, you're gonna see this again. Pay attention to this. This is important. It's what you highlight. It's what you underline. When you see the truly I say to you, it means there's some words that are coming that are gonna be sincere words. They're important words. And he says to them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Time out. How would you respond as a student at a Christian university if somebody came up to you and said, people who absolutely rejected Jesus, the the worst of the worst in the society, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are gonna go into the kingdom before you. Think about the reaction here. Think about how heavy this would have set onto the religious leaders of the day as Jesus tells these religious leaders The people that this society considers the most vile are gonna go into the kingdom before you do. This is a statement that they have trouble processing, trouble believing. This is a statement that is offensive and it's meant to be offensive. And let's break it down here. So truly, I say to you, important here, the tax collectors, we see that all throughout Matthew, but he adds in here the prostitutes. The prostitutes, that's not usually mentioned. He's adding in here the worst of the worst. 
Those that people would say, you shouldn't be seen around them. You shouldn't hang out with them. These people, can they even really be saved? I mean, they're, they're the lowest rung of society. So who in your mind is the worst people of all of society? That's the type people that Matthew's focused on here. And Jesus says to them, they will go into the kingdom of God. Okay, time out. Remember back when we talked about the kingdom, we talked about Matthew using the kingdom of heaven. He used this kingdom of heaven over and over and over again perhaps so that he's not as offensive in the use of that because kingdom of God, remember your Jewish audience, they don't, they don't mention the name of God out of respect. They've created all of these different rules and everything that they follow. And here in this context, he uses kingdom of God, perhaps to point out, perhaps to stick it to them, perhaps to say to them, you who won't even say the name of God, don't repent and follow what the father says. Tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven before you. Complete insult. But there's a little bit of grace given here in that he says that they will go in before you, not instead of you. So is it impossible for the priests and the Pharisees, those who consider themselves the holy righteous ones, the church leaders, is it impossible for them to be saved? He doesn't say you can't go. He just says they're gonna go before you. So if they change their mind, if they repent, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then even those religious elites that have rejected the gospel and rejected Jesus, if they change, if they repent, they too can go into the kingdom of God. Verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. Oh, but these tax collectors, these Pharisees, all right, just put a comma right there and let me say to all of us, there is nobody that is too big of a sinner for God's grace not to save them. There is nobody in this world, there is nobody that God can't redeem and save if they will humble themselves, repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So even in our own minds, sometimes we think we're better than other people. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Those people are people that Jesus died for, he created, they're in his image, that Jesus loves. We should never think that Jesus couldn't save anybody on this earth. Those tax collectors and those prostitutes believe John. Even when you church leaders, even when you priests, even when you Pharisees saw that there were people that were tax collectors who cheated everybody, that there were people who were prostitutes that weren't doing godly things, that they repented of their sins and started doing good and right and godly things, even when you saw God moving in that way, you still didn't believe. They didn't do it in the way you wanted it done. It wasn't acceptable to you. God wasn't using you to do it. You didn't repent. You didn't believe. And so here they're challenged. Even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds, there it is again, and believe him. Luke 7, 29 says this. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. All right, so what's going on in this passage? Actions speak louder than words, we get it. But let's look at the context here. Let's break this context down just a little bit. As we look at the context, we jump right back up to the fig tree. The fig tree, Matthew 21, 
18 through 22. Jesus walks outside, there's a fig tree. What do fig trees produce? All right, let's try that again. What do fig trees produce? So you go outside and there's a fig tree and the fig tree has produced nothing. And as the fig tree has produced nothing, Jesus says, nevermore will you produce anything. A tree intended to produce a fruit doesn't produce a fruit is a worthless tree. You get the correlation now, right? Why is that story listed here? Why did Matthew, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put that story before he comes to this parable? Because this parable is indicating that a religious person who produces no fruit is worthless. Somebody who claims to be religious, that has never believed in Jesus, never repented, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's no fruit in their life, this indicates to them there's a judgment coming. Friends, this should cause us to examine our own life. We should bear fruit. There in my life should be fruit of the spirit that are showing. There should be a desire to pursue after God. I should see in my own life a desire to love God and to love others. And if there is absolutely no fruit in my life, as I look in the mirror, I should ask myself the question, if there's no fruit, then am I really a follower of Christ? God's judgment will come on those who don't bear fruit. And that's what he's saying here. Authority in John the Baptist. We've already mentioned this. Whose authority did John the Baptist do what he does? Well, Jesus tells us here. He actually answers the question when he says that John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, but you didn't believe him. So John doesn't come in the power of men. John comes with the power of God. And John the Baptist, authorized by God, authority from God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, to to preach the repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He comes with the authority of God. But these priests... These Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, they have no authority from God. They claim to have authority from God, but they don't even listen to God. They don't obey God. And then we look at what comes after. So as we're looking at this story, we're looking at it in context, and we see in the very next verse, verse 33, it's here another parable. Now, we'll, we'll go through this parable later in the year. But here another parable. This parable is the parable of the tenants. It's the tenants who they kill. The master sends people, they kill them. The master sends his son, they kill his son. They have completely rejected all the prophets. They have completely rejected Jesus as he has come to tell them about the gospel. And so here again, you see this theme that there's a rejection of Jesus. And then in verse 45, it says, the chief priests and the Pharisees perceived that he was speaking about them. So what's our main takeaway from this parable? First son, go, work in the vineyard. No, I won't do it. Repentance, a change of heart, a change of mind. Yeah, all right, I'm gonna go work in the vineyard. Second son, I'll go, but doesn't. Actions speak louder than words. We say it all the time. All bark, no bite. You've heard that phrase before. Put your money where your mouth is. Talk is cheap. Saying is a different thing from doing. All talk, no action. What do you say when you have a friend that that says stuff all the time and never backs it up? Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. You wanna see action in order to believe the words. So, So my students, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, what is this text saying to me? What is this text saying to you? It's saying to all of us that our words are cheap if they are not backed up by action. Is saying to all of us, what are your actions saying? 
Are your actions speaking louder than your words and condemning you? Or are your actions that you are doing actually giving you an indication of a heart that is pursuing God, that is after God? So here's your application. First of all, beware of legalism and liberalism. So the goal of being at Cedarville is to graduate. So you graduate, you walk across the stage, you leave here. When you leave here, you get plugged into a local church as quickly as you can find one. Perhaps even in your thought processes of which job you're gonna take, you start thinking about where can I get plugged into a church plant or a local church that's thriving? I wanna be in an area with a church that's thriving, so I'm gonna take this job over that job because I know there's a good, solid church that I can jump right into and that I can then be a producer and not a consumer in that local church. When you pick those local churches, may I just say to you what I would say to my kids, what I want for my own children, may I say to all of you, make sure you you pick a church that preaches the gospel, that preaches the Bible, that will walk word by word through verses of scripture and text of scripture to bring that to life. Will you pick a church that is not legalistic on one side or liberal on the other side where lives are being changed and God is at work so that you will be excited about going to church and learning and hearing from the word of God and being plugged in to minister to others Pick your local church wisely, students. And if it's not in the back of your mind that you've got to pick a solid local church and that that's going to influence the next 10 years of your life, then then time out. Think about that. You're not going to have this authentic Christian community for the rest of your life. Your local church is where you should get plugged in and where you should have that community for the rest of your life. Churches who are legalistic, have taken things that are outside the gospel and made them essential. Churches who are liberal have taken things that are essential and they've made them optional. We're an institution of higher education. Institutions of higher education are known for, famous for even in some circles, liberalism. You have a school that's founded on the gospel. You have a school that's founded on the Bible and over time it drifts and it goes away from those things. And then all of a sudden it's a school that's known for a secular humanistic point of view. We can think of Harvard and the Ivy League schools that were founded by godly men to train pastors for ministry. And you look at them now and you can't find a biblical worldview anywhere in the place. I saw a tweet from one seminary This was about a year or so ago. We said, today in chapel, we confessed to plants. Together, we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer and offered them to the beings who sustain us, but whose gifts we too often fail to honor. What do you confess to the plants in your life? So what do I confess to the plants in my life? Sorry I didn't water you and you died. (laughs) I don't confess anything to the plants in my life. I don't think about the plants. I have no plants in my life. That's what my wife and my daughter do. They have plants and they're in the house and I have no clue what they are, what their names are, how to sustain them. That's not my job. I have a God that sustains me and I have a God that was wise enough to create plants who take carbon dioxide and turn it back into oxygen so I can breathe and kill more things that have meat and eat more hamburgers and, <laughs> and milkshakes and spicy chicken sandwiches and <laughs> just having fun. I'm just having fun, but 
there are places out there that have completely lost the gospel. There are places out there that they do not believe that this word is God's inspired, infallible word given by him through the Holy Spirit, speaking through men as though it is God-breathed. And they believe this book is something that they can sit in judgment over and say, I like this part, I don't like this part, I like this part, I don't like this part. Can I say to you, if you go to graduate school, be very careful what you're getting in graduate school. You're gonna get the biblical worldview here. Be very careful what else is creeping into your life. Be very careful that you check everything by the word of God. Don't let the liberalism of higher education, the secular humanistic worldview, and they can say to you that we're the ones that have a worldview and that we do indoctrination and all this, but they have a secular humanistic worldview and they are indoctrinating people without presenting the biblical worldview. We're at least gonna present both to you. We're gonna make sure you understand what both are. We're gonna tell you that this one's the right one, but you're gonna understand what's happening in all of your disciplines. May I say to you as my students that I care for and that I want you to live a life that glorifies God from this point forward, make sure you get plugged into a church that doesn't have liberalism, preaches the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified, substitutionary atonement for our sins, resurrected from the grave, repent and believe for life change, preaches the gospel and join a church that's not legalistic, that adds all these other things to it because that legalism and all these things you have to do turns into a workspace salvation. It robs you of your joy. Don't join a legalistic church. Don't join a liberal church. Students, join a Bible-believing church that loves the gospel and has great joy serving Jesus where lives are being changed and plant your life there and be used by that church, by God in that church for his glory for the rest of your life. You'll never regret it. All right, number two, as religious people, what warning does this parable issue to us? All right, so I'm reading this text and I'm thinking to myself, preacher, what's this text saying to me? I think this text is saying to me, perhaps this communicates to you as well, that I need to have a level of humility before God. That what happened in that first son, no, I won't go, but then he changed his mind, he repented. He had to say, okay, I was wrong. I should have said, yes, I will go. And then he has to go and work. There's a humility that's there that is the same humility that's present when I humble myself before God and say, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. There's the same humility that's present when I humble myself before God and say, God, I still have this flesh. I had the sin nature. I'm a new creation in Christ, but Paul says I still struggle with this flesh and, and this flesh. Lord, just like Paul says in Romans, I do not do the things I wanna do. The things I wanna do, I do not do. And so I humble myself before God. Can I just urge you to maintain a gospel humility before the Lord, that you are quick to repent, that you are quick to fall in line when the spirit convicts you, that you are quick to say, Lord, rescue me from this body of death. Help me by the power of your spirit, by your word to do the things that will please you. All right, last question. Reflect on the last couple of months. Which ones of the sons have you acted most like? No, God, I'm not gonna do that. All right, you're God, I'm not. I don't want to, but I'll go do it. Yes, God, I'll do whatever you want. We'll go do this. It's not gonna happen. Lord willing, we're not like either one of them. Lord willing, it's yes, sir, Lord, I'll go. 
Yes, sir, Lord, I'll do. And we do. But today you get a mirror. That's what the Bible does. It presents us with a mirror. And you get to ask yourself the question, which one of these sons am I more like? So where's your fruit? Are you thankful? Do you have a culture of discipleship, upperclassmen, juniors, seniors, maybe some sophomore or freshman who've grown up in the church, spiritually mature, are you discipling somebody? Are you living an intentional life for all of your 1,000 days on this campus so that you will disciple somebody else? Because as you pour into them and disciple them, you're gonna grow more than you're gonna grow being discipled because you're gonna be dealing with these questions, thinking through these thoughts, setting the example, praying for others. Are you discipling others? Or are you just walking through life? Do you have gratitude When you see those who clean the campus, when you see those who are cleaning the restrooms, are you thankful for their ministry on this campus or do you look at them with disdain? When you see the people who are working in the dish pit at Chuck's, dealing with the nasty food and making sure that it all gets clean so that you'll have nice plates to eat off of, do you look at them with disdain or do you look at them with gratitude? Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this ministry on this campus. When you look at those at Chick-fil-A who are taking 3,000 orders every hour, I don't know how many, but it seems like that many, and they're a little bit slower, they get something wrong, do you yell at them? Do you get angry at them? Are you thankful that there's somebody behind there serving you so that you can get delicious chicken, God's chicken, and eat the chicken? (laughs) And the Oreo, it's not Oreo, it's cookies and cream, right? Milkshake. I mean, come on. How quick are we in our actions to be ungrateful for the good gifts God has given us on this campus, not thankful to those who are serving, as though I'm entitled to something because I'm a big deal around here. Come on. The people too, created in the image of God that he died for on the cross, just like he did for us. Would it hurt us to say thank you to those who are up and to clean the campus? I appreciate what you're doing. Would it hurt us as we're dropping off plates, we see somebody taking the food we've discarded or whatever it is and just to say, hey, I appreciate your ministry here. Thank you for what you're doing. All right, main idea. Actions speak louder than words. So I had my application, I wrote it out, and then I thought, man, there's some more application here. I'm not gonna go into it, I'm just gonna read it. You can write it down, you can think about it. What story are your actions writing? Just off what I do, what story am I writing? What do your actions indicate about your heart? I'm thankful, I'm grateful, I'm humble, I'm prideful, I'm arrogant, I'm sinful. If I just take my actions, what's this saying about my heart? Because I, I can't change my actions for any length of time without changing my heart condition. My actions are gonna be the overflow of my heart. If my heart is in the right place with God, then my actions are gonna be good towards God. If my heart's in the wrong place with God, I might be able to force it or fake it for a little bit, but my actions are eventually gonna go where my heart is. No Bible, no breakfast. Get in the word. Let it change your heart. What would people say about you if all they knew were your actions? No words. Just take a list of what you do. What would they say about you? What would they say about me? Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We have flesh 
We have sin nature. It is hard for us to do what is right. I get it. That's why every morning, no Bible, no breakfast. That's why we pray for the Holy Spirit to help us to do what we should. That's why we're quick to repent. That's why we surround ourselves with authentic believers in good community, in discipleship. That's why we join good local churches that will feed into our souls. That's why it is a constant struggle. It is a long walk in the same direction. That's why we are stumbling forward together. We stumble, we get up, we move forward. We stumble, we get up, we move forward. A slow walk in the same direction, locking arms together in discipleship, in sanctification. That's what we do. That's who we are. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us today to be challenged by your word, to look at your word, Lord, to love your word, to lean into your word, to meditate on it, to memorize it, to let it change our hearts, our minds, our desires, so that, Lord, we may live a life that pleases you. For you are worthy, you are a good God, you are a gracious God, and you're worthy of our lives and our praise. So, Lord, help us today to make sure that we do stand for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.